I am not defined by the fears of this world because I am a child of God. It's a beautiful thing to be a child of God. I think we often don't understand all that that really entails and all that that really means. Before I jump into my Bible this morning, I uh, want to encourage you with something. A couple of things that are inside your listening guides. They say, I'm saying yes. Uh, For the next few weeks, we encourage you to say yes to some of the things that would help you grow in your faith. You might remember we talked about volunteering and serving and having a heart to serve the Lord last week. And so there's a a little form here that outlines some of the greatest needs we have uh, with our worship team, our kids team, our students team, uh, some other things we do through the year. Um, We're just encouraging you to say yes to serving. I know that many of you already do say yes to serving. In fact, we have a higher than average percentage of our folks who serve the Lord in some capacity here at Harvest. I want to encourage you to also fill out one of these and just indicate the ways you're already serving. Uh, We just want to, uh, over the next weeks, say yes to connecting and yes to serving. Also, uh, there's some opportunities here to think about connecting with some of our life groups. And so if you're uh, already connected to one of our life groups, let us know that. If you're interested in connecting to one of our groups, or maybe we don't have a group that fits your need and you want to tell us you'd be interested in a group that would focus on certain things, you can indicate that as well. So with both of these, um, you can just fill those out as I preach today. You know that moment where I start to drift off and you're not sure I'm really meaning anything? You can skip for the next 45 seconds or so. Wouldn't take that long to fill out one of these drop it in the basket on you guys are laughing like this isn't normal I don't know if I drift off or you drift off I don't know which it is but uh, I am a preacher right and so every Sunday I watch us engage disengage engage disengage right Uh, that is everybody says oh it's just one long really it's a it's you engage you disengage it happens when you watch tv too you know that don't you right? And so, uh, so here's some opportunities of stuff to work on when you're disengaging, if you will. Um, we'd love to have you connect with many of these things. So here's, here's what I want to do. I want to catch us up. We began a series at the beginning of the year called Mistaken Identity. And what we began to do is read this long prayer that's found in Colossians chapter 1 that outlines, as we've talked about it, how to know what God wants for us in 2023. You might remember we were asking, can I know God's will for my life? And the answer is an abundant, absolute, totally, yes. I don't have to wonder about God's will. In fact, that was the one thing last week, so one thing today. Uh, we'll see how far I get, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Chances are we're going to be in the same prayer because there's a dense prayer here next week. And so I don't have to wonder about God's will. It's God's will that I grow in grace this year. And if you're taking notes, uh, that first set of blanks, I don't have to wonder about God's will. It's God's will. It is God's will that I grow in grace. That's the one thing today. God's will that I grow in grace this year. And so what we've been talking about is what that looks like. And I've given us Four or so of those aspects so far, growth begins with grace living in me. Growth looks like maturity in the big three. The big three are faith, hope, and love. Growth looks like showing grace and sharing grace with my world. 
Growth looks like using my gifts to serve Jesus' kingdom. I'm going to add another three or four uh, sort of ways to grow in grace to that today. But I want to read for you Colossians chapter 1, beginning, uh, let's begin in verse 3. I don't need to read the intro uh, verses again. Verse 3, we always thank, this again, one long prayer. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you first heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's dense. There's a lot going on in this prayer. But it's all about how we understand what God wants for us. And it outlines for us that what God wants for us is to grow specifically to grow in grace. You could easily ask, let's just think of it this way, sort of scientifically. These things we're talking about and we're outlining, are these the ingredients of growth? If I do these things, I will grow? Or are these things the results of growth? This is what happens when I grow. And I'm gonna say, yes. Exactly. I'm going to say, yes, these are the ingredients of growth. You want to grow, right? Then Jesus living in me is a good starting point. Maturity and faith, hope and love, embracing those is a good starting point. But guess what? When I grow in grace, you know what the result is in my life? Faith and hope and love. But these are things I choose. But at the same time, they're things that Jesus chooses to produce in me. Does this make some sense? Relatively? I want to see if we can make it make even more sense as we go along today. All of this reminds me of something Jesus said. I've preached this verse before, so it should sound familiar. But Jesus said, John 15, verse 4, Jesus said, Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Notice that, that the idea of remaining is repeated three times there. Remain in me, I'll remain in you. The branch won't bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, fourth time repeated. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So five or so times there, he says, remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. We've got to remain in him. He uses a word that's very interesting. The Greek word is the word minnow. It means to stay. It means to remain, obviously. It means to dwell like in a home, like a dwelling, like to be at home and stay at home. It means to continue to be present, to continue into relationship. It means in some sense to tolerate, to endure, to wait, to accept, even to suffer for or to submit to, to act in accordance with or to be faithful to. It's one of the great words of John's gospel and one of the great words of the New Testament. In fact, John's gospel uses this word some 34 times, and I think in his letters, something like another 19 times. And so this word shows up over and over and over, and it was a favorite word of Jesus as well. And that's why John adopted it so strongly, that we are to remain, that we are to dwell. Or as it says in the ESV, some of the other versions, we are to abide. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide. Dwell. Be at home. Continue in. To remain. That got me thinking about something I heard another preacher say a while back, but it stuck with me. In fact, I've, I've done an exercise a little like this before. I have a tendency a lot of mornings to drink tea in the mornings. I'm not a coffee drinker. I'm a Dr. Pepper drinker, which you probably know. But, you know, Dr. Pepper, first thing in the morning, is probably not the wisest idea, right? And so I drink hot tea a fair amount of mornings. And anybody else besides me drink hot tea? All right, so I'm not the only one in the room. I'm glad to know it. How many of you are coffee drinkers? All right, so there are more of you. How many of you are tea drinkers? Some of you are both. Yeah, how many of you are both? All right, so I, I like my hot tea, right? And there are two kinds of people when it comes to your hot tea. You pour your little glass of hot tea, right? This is a big glass, obviously. But you pour your little glass, and you take your tea, your tea bags, right? And what do some of us do? Some of us... Some of us are dippers, right? Right? We're, we're just going to see if we can, we're just going to play this game for a little bit. In fact, I think this is why some of us drink tea. It's not so we can drink tea, but so we have something to do with our hands, right? And so it's kind of a fun thing to do, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to dip. And others of us are dwellers. Some of us are dippers. Others of us are dwellers. We, we just put the tea in, and we just... Let it dwell. So if you tea drinkers, I'm just curious, how many of you are dippers? All right. And how many of you are dwellers? See, again, about evenly split. Some of us are dwip, dippers. Dwippers. Yeah, that's interesting. Said Elmer Fudd. Some of us are dippers, and some of us are dwellers. Now, this is the question, the, the, the great tea question of modern times. Is it better to dip? Or is it better to dwell? And those who dip have a very distinguished opinion, not just about how fun it is to dip, but about what it does to your tea if you dwell. Dippers would say, hey, you don't, 
You don't want to remain. You don't want to dwell. You don't want to stay. You want to dip because there comes a moment where if you dwell, then the tea is too, is too strong. The tea becomes too acidic. That, that dipping is better because if we stayed, then the tea would be too strong. You get the argument, right? That, that, and I, I mean, you'd sort of get this, right? I'm, I'm a dweller because there's more holiness in remaining. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, actually, most of the time when I get my hot tea, it doesn't come with a string attached. The place uh, that I write a lot of mornings uh, just gives me these little packets, and they're made to dwell, not to dip. So I really don't have a choice in the way I go about my hot tea, uh, at least in that place. But I tend to be a dweller, even if I were doing tea at home, because I like the flavor of the tea being a little stronger. But you get the point, right? If you dip, then you don't want it to get too strong. If you dwell, you like a little stronger tea. Does this make sense so far? So add that to what Jesus is saying. If you remain in me, if you stay in me, if you continue in your relationship with me, if you wait and endure and even suffer, submit, act in accordance with, if you are faithful to your relationship with me, I will be faithful to you. I will remain in you. I will suffer with you. Does this, does this make sense? So here's, here's I did, I'm going to get personal. I, darn it. If this isn't painful, we dip because we don't want it to be too, too strong. Do you know how many of us just dip with Jesus a little bit? We like to, I am mixing metaphors here, but we like to sprinkle a little salt and pepper Jesus onto our life. You know, it's, we like the flavor of Jesus, the flavor of grace. But you know, I mean, come on. Dwelling is for the, for the, for the types that are like work for the church. The dippers are those of us that, you know, we like to dip in, but we also like to dip out. That's what my kids would say, right? Right. If, if you don't use the phrase dip out, uh, and that's not something you're familiar with, just, just ask your grandkids, I promise. Right? They know what dipping out's all about. And so we like, <laughs> we like to dip Jesus in, but we like to dip Jesus out because we're afraid that Jesus in us will be a little too strong, a little too acidic, a little too unbearable. That's what we're getting at about growing in grace. That these ways we're growing in grace, this, this ways of growth that we're looking at to grow in grace is about having Jesus, about having grace abide in us to be dwellers, not dippers this year. I wonder how this is going to taste in a little bit. Yeah, I got three here. That's why I keep having to sort of push it down. Because it's a lot of water for one tea bag. What does it mean to abide, to remain? 
What does it look like to abide, to remain? Again, I gave us four answers last week. I ran through those a minute ago. I'm going to add another four or so answers to that today from this prayer in the book of Colossians. Let's, let's see how we can grow together. Number five, growth looks like intentional prayer. Growth looks like intentional prayer. Praying for each other with some very clear intention. I'm going to be straight with you. I don't feel like I'm a prayer expert. I don't feel like I've got prayer all figured out. I'm not even sure prayer warrior is quite the right thing to attach to me. But I know that in my life, I practice prayer in a variety of ways. Sometimes those ways are very conversational, right? I'm driving down the road and I'm talking to Jesus. And you're like, but, but keep your eyes on the road. You know, I'm working through my day and I'm also talking to Jesus. I'm meeting with you, and I'm listening to you, but I'm also talking to Jesus very conversationally. But there are also moments in my life where I need, probably more so than I do, to set aside time to be intentional about remaining and abiding in conversation with Jesus. Not just sort of as it pops up, but with intention in my life. I, I told you, this is really a prayer of the Apostle Paul. And if you, read, if you read almost any of his letters, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, he almost always starts this way. That he introduces himself, I'm Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm with Timothy or Epaphras or whoever. And I'm writing to you, the faithful in Colossae or Philippi or Ephesus. And my, my wish for you, he greets them, is grace and peace. And he says that almost all the time. And then more than not, in his letters, he goes into a prayer of thanksgiving. And so we see verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And he goes on to explain that. And then verse 9, he sort of repeats it. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, and he goes on from there. This is telling me that in my life, in your life, that ingredients, if I want to grow, that part of what I need to mix into the equation, into the recipe, part of what I need to, part of what I need to not only dip in, but dwell in, is this sense of prayer in my life. I know that if I were to look at my life from a long lens point of view, you would find seasons in my life where I was better at prayer, and you would find seasons in my life where I was more shallow in prayer. And it doesn't in my life, I don't know about yours, but it doesn't in my life look like I was shallow when I was a baby Christian, and now today, I am the deepest I have ever been in prayer. Does your life look like that? Where it was once shallow and it's just automatically grown over the years? Or does prayer, like the, 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 the tides, sometimes move in and out of your life? Because I would identify with that. Would you guess the times where I'm better at prayer? Tough, Tough times, almost always. Right? Because when things aren't tough, I'm more self-reliant. 
And self-reliance means I'm having a conversation with myself, not a conversation with Jesus. And so growth in 2023 looks like intentional prayer that doesn't rely on tough times to motivate me to connect with Jesus and pray, but an intention to grow in that regard. Does, that makes sense, doesn't it? So with anybody besides me say, I need to be better at prayer this year, not just prayer for me, but prayer for my family, prayer for my church, prayer for my friends, prayer for my workplace, prayer for any, any that's pretty much all of us, right? That there's the need to grow in prayer this year. Would you just so happen to know that Harvest has a team that we call the, it's really unique. Like, I mean, this is the most unique name you will have ever heard for a prayer team in a church. We call it the prayer team. It's super complicated, let me tell you. Every once in a while, I like to throw this out there. I would challenge you to join the prayer team. In fact, in a lot of senses, I would ask you to join the prayer team. But I do always usually preface that with some sense of, I'm not asking you to be a prayer warrior. I'm not asking you to be a prayer perfectionist. I'm not asking that you have qualified yourself by, by already having prayer all figured out. I'm just asking that you will take seriously the burden of prayer in the church. Notice I just called prayer a burden. I'm going to be straight. There is a weight in lifting up the prayers of the church. People email us, call us, text in regularly with things like, my friend has cancer. There's weight with that. Sometimes people reach out and say, uh, something at home is really not right, and I'm asking you to pray. Sometimes people write in and say, I want to let you know of an answered prayer. And those are boosts because we're encouraged in prayer together when we see God answer prayers. Right? Again, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. In my life, I don't think I have ever seen the sports media world ever so open to prayer as to when DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field and died at a football game. And then after minutes and minutes and minutes of what seemed like forever, his life was restored through CPR and an AED device and the work of great trainers who leaned in and medical staff who leaned in. And, and for the next few weeks, what we saw was like before games, like teams gathering and praying. And like there was permission. You don't need the permission of anyone to pray. Right? There's a famous clip now of one of the commentators on one of the pro football shows that said, like, I don't even know if this is okay, but I'm going to stop right here, right now, and I'm going to pray for DeMar Hamlin. And he did it on national television, on a network that usually does everything it can to cut away when you see teams pray after the games. You don't need permission. It's good to pray. You don't need harvest permission to pray. You don't need your pastor's permission to pray. In fact, I'm in a sense pleading with you to pray. Not just for yourself, but for harvest, for our staff, 
for our leaders, for our services, for our outreach, for our ministries, and for the needs of harvesters. And so if you'd be wanting or willing to join our prayer team, I left it over there, just take out that communication card and say, I want to join the prayer team. And you're going to get an email from me or from our office that says, we're just asking, we're verifying that you really want to receive our prayer requests and that you are saying you will take them seriously. Now, here's what you're not saying, that I'm going to spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week praying for these requests. I'm not capable of that. I don't know if you know that, but I sleep sometimes. And the prayer team's not just me, right? I it, 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 sometimes I'm better at it, sometimes I'm worse at it, but every week those prayer requests come before me and I spend some time trying to lay those at the feet of Jesus. And that's what I'm asking you to do. Is that a like three-hour commitment that I do every week? There have been times where it might be, but more than not, I'm be straight. It takes me in the minutes Meaning, I'm not praying for hours, I'm praying for minutes where I'm looking through and I'm reading requests and I'm lifting your needs to Jesus and I'm praying strength on your behalf and I'm praying wisdom on your behalf. And I'm going to be honest, my prayers don't carry more weight than yours. Right, I know everybody wants to, but is Brian praying? Because the man upstairs must listen to people who, who know him better or must listen to people or, no. No, I, I'm just, I'm encouraging you. Growth this year looks like intentional prayer. And we would ask you to consider joining our prayer team. Number five, that was five. Number six, growth looks like reading, understanding, and living my Bible. Growth looks like reading, understanding, and living my Bible. Look at verse 9. He says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And we continually ask God, what do we ask God? To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, what the word that isn't there is Bible. But what is implied understanding, wisdom, knowledge, if I were to have any understanding or wisdom or knowledge of God, I'm going to tell you, it's going to come because I have this beautiful gift called the Bible. And you say, but, 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 but Brian, the Bible, if I'm honest, is a little, a little uh, overwhelming to read, especially if I've never been in it much. And you know, if I get out my grandma's Bible... And I pull that down, and there's Shakespeare in it. Not really, but language of Shakespeare. And I'm this, I'm this young, I'm still young, thank you. I'm this young, maybe not hip, but I'm this young guy, and I read the Shakespeare Bible, and I go, I have no idea what that means. There's some ways around that. There's some tools around that. But I promise you, if I'm going to have knowledge of God, if I'm going to have understanding of his will, if I'm going to have wisdom, that is going to come from absorbing the word of God in my life. 
Statistically, the number one issue that correlates to higher maturity and higher relationship with God's scores in the, in the sort of daily discipleship of Christians, the number one habit that helps with that is daily Bible reading. In fact, I was reading a story, the, a study this week. There's much research that shows the correlation between spiritual maturity and reading the Bible. You could read uh, Brad Wagoner's The Shape of Faith to Come. It's based on a Lifeway research study or George Guthrie's Read the Bible for Life material. The bottom line is that what we see is that reading the Bible is the best predictor of spiritual maturity in our lives. So much so that I'm phrasing this, that that growth looks like reading, but I'm adding some words. Not just reading my Bible, but understanding my Bible and living my Bible. I've, I've got to build a bridge when I read my Bible between what it said back then and what it meant back then and what that in turn means for me now and how I put that meaning for me now into practice in my life today. When I read my Bible, that's what I'm looking for, is what did it mean, and what did it mean back then, and how did that translate into something that I need in my life today, and how do I implement that, how do I live it, how do I put it into practice, how do I remain and abide in that? Does that make sense? That philosophy informs how I teach the Bible to you every single Sunday. I'm going to confess something for just a moment. I'm not the deepest preacher around. I'm just being honest. I'm not. I'm not the deepest preacher around. There's no like deep preacher of the year award, but if there was one, my name would likely never be attached to it. And there's a reason for that. I intentionally work. In fact, I put a lot of work every week in my head into building a bridge between the Word of God and your life. And when we study our Bibles, is there depth here? Absolutely there is. It's why I'm spending three weeks in this prayer. So I'm not saying we don't have any depth, but sometimes when preachers read their Bibles in church and then they teach, it's all theology. It's all up in the clouds. It's all you would be smarter if you knew this. Do you agree with me? All doctrine, nothing wrong with doctrine. I teach doctrine all the time. Wait until we get past this. When we move past this prayer, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. We will go deep into doctrine. I don't mean I don't have depth. I do mean that that depth, the knowledge of that depth is not enough. Do you know that people who have deep knowledge like seminary training still have affairs? People who have seminary training still lie, cheat, steal? Like, Brian, didn't you go to seminary? Is it, what are you telling us? I'm simply saying that what matters is how much of our Bibles we're living. Be doers of the word, James says, not hearers only. James 1, right? 
Be doers of the word and not hearers only. To be a doer of the word, I have to have an understanding of the word. To have an understanding of the word, I have to read the word. And so wouldn't you know it that every month Harvest puts out these cool little, I don't know what you call them, bookmarks, I suppose, that have Bible readings suggested for us. And every once in a while somebody writes in and they go, Brian, I, like, like, I get overwhelmed. It's too much to read a chapter at a time. You know what I will say to that? Then don't read a chapter at a time. Find a different Bible reading plan. Read a few verses at a time. Go slower through our plan. It's okay. What I care about is that you're reading your Bible. Some of you say, man, chapter at a time is not enough. Like, I've read through the Bible every year since like 1836. And if if you're good with like six to eight chapters a week, or a day rather, Like, go for it. I got no problem with that. I don't want to demand of us that the more spiritual read it in fast, rapid chunks. Yeah, I've noticed in my life, when I try to do the Bible in a year, what happens is now I'm paying more attention to counting my check marks than I am to what I'm living and understanding. Does that make sense? So we sort of settled into, if you can get through five chapters a week, we build some breaks into the weekends, not because we want you to take a break from reading your Bible, but because we want you to be able to catch up. So chapter a day, five out of seven days a week, be in it every day, but jump back in when I've missed out. And if you haven't read your Bible yet this year, just jump in where we are today. We are reading in the Gospel of John. And I really think that one of the most transformative things we can do is read our Bibles, work to understand our Bibles, and then as we have understanding, begin to live what the Bible says. Does does that make some sense? It's one of the best things you can do. It's one of the best things that any of us can do. And if you say, Brian, I try, but I'm going to be straight, I still struggle with my Bible reading. Welcome to humanity. Welcome to being a Christian. There is an enemy who would fight against our desire to read our Bibles, right? So busyness and craziness and the hecticness of life all play into that. But can I tell you what else plays into that? Straight up, it's not the easiest book to understand. I will tell you, it's powerful enough and shallow enough that the most babe Christians can read it and soak in something and hear the Spirit speak to them, and that's the part that matters. When I have the Spirit of God in my life, the Spirit of God can speak through the Word into my life. And so there's enough shallowness here that the most babe Christian among us can swim around in it and not be overwhelmed to the point of quitting. But there's enough depth here that the most seasoned saint could swim for years and years and years and still not say, yeah, I've got it all figured out. In fact, I notice when I read my Bible that there's always something new there, right? There's always something. There are parts I've read more than others. I'll be straight about that. I've probably read the book of Philippians more than any other part of my Bible. Maybe Proverbs more than any other part of the Old Testament. And yet, when I go through them, there are things I go, oh. Some of you would say, but Brian, I'm not a morning person. Because you've always heard that real spiritual giants get up at like up teen 30 in the morning, some ungodly crazy hour, and they read for hours in their Bible. And if you can't do that, then you must not be a Bible reader, right? Who decided that was more godly? 
right? I was reading something this week, and it said, look, there are early bird people. That's totally fine in reading your Bibles. There are midday breakers, right? They go to work for a little bit. They take a break in the middle of the day, and they read their Bible. That's okay, too. There are commuter seekers, right? There are the people who the digital Bible is their friend, and they're commuting every day, and they're in their car, and they find ways in the car. Do you know that there are cool things like apps where I just bring the Bible up and I go, boom, and I hit play, and it reads to me. And I'm going to straight up tell you, if you're not a reader, the Bible app is your friend. In fact, I'll go further than that. If you can't read, I bet you still operate one of these. Because like everybody, I see like two-year-olds, and they're like, boom, boom, swipe, shoot, 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 You know, kids in elementary school, I got to have a phone. Elementary school, I was like, no, you don't. (laughs) My kids have phones now, but they're not in elementary school anymore. But there are so many good things. Like, to, to have the Bible read to you back in the day required having, you know, like Charlton Heston sit at your house. Or a, a Bible on tape. Or a Bible on CD. Or a, right? Now, now all I've got to do is just hit a button in my Bible app. I can change the voice. Like, you, you want James Earl Jones? You're good. Right? You want British guy? You're good. You, you don't like guys, you want ladies reading the Bible? Like, you can, there's so much choice around trying to understand and read our Bibles. You can read it morning, noon, or night, I don't care. If, if routine is not your thing and you want to like flip until, you know, more than not, my style of Bible reading tends to be that I read until I bump into something. Right? Because I'm reading, okay, Paul and Timothy, and I haven't bumped into anything yet, but I get around to something, and sometimes I just stop and I dwell for a little bit. Because letting that soak into me can be life transforming. Does that make sense? If you really struggle, I would suggest this. Like, you're going to say, no, this is weird, but I promise you, it's, it's okay. Go in a room in your house and shut the door and read your Bible out loud because now you're engaging you're listening and you're reading and they say when you engage more of the senses right now we're speaking hearing seeing right i got three out of i don't know maybe i'm smelling my bible right god says taste and see that the lord is good read it slowly and out loud this will increase your focus read it multiple times slowly and out loud and if reading is not your thing or literally you cannot read nobody likes to talk about an american life that there's a percentage of us that cannot read let me tell you you're not left out jesus still loves you i love you we love you but if you cannot read again there are tools that will help you hear the bible one of my favorite bibles is the n-i-r-v It's the New International Reader's Version. I don't preach from it on Sundays. I preach from the NIV on Sundays. Again, uh, the deep preachers uh, prefer not to use the NIV because it's a little less literal, but I find that the NIV is a little easier to understand. If you like the ESV, go for it. Guess what? I have print ESV Bibles. I have computer ESV Bibles. I read an ESV verse of, of John 15, 4 for us this morning. I like it too. You like your King James? Keep it up. 
right? You, you want the Bible in Spanish or French or like, go for it. Maybe I'm overstating my point here. Growth looks like reading and understanding, living my Bible. Number th- six, growth looks like desiring what Jesus desires. I wonder if this tea is getting good. It smells good. I'm a little afraid if I take a sip, it will just spill all down my shirt, and I will be in trouble. I have another one of these services to do, right? Growth looks like, but it looks good. You know, I notice as it dwells that it looks a little richer. Is that just me? That's tea. Yeah, when Jesus dwells, when we dwell. Growth looks like desiring what Jesus desires. This is about heart. It's about character. Again, verse 9, since the day we first heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to do what? To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, that you may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and he's going to add, be strengthened, and he's going to talk about strength, he's going to add joyful thanks, and he's going to talk about thanksgiving, and we'll get to those. But I just want you to see here that when I am reading my Bible, when I'm understanding the knowledge of God, and when I'm beginning to live that out, what happens is I begin to let Jesus mold and shape my heart. And the question is not, what do I want so much, but what does Jesus want? And so it's that classic, like, WWJD. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus want? What, how would Jesus handle this? And I begin to have eyes that help me see you and see my life and see my circumstances and my tough times and my troubles through the lens of what would Jesus do? After all, Jesus went through, I don't know if you know this, he went through tough times. Have you heard that? In fact, it went through tougher times than I will ever go through. So what is it, what would it look like in my circumstances to desire what Jesus desires? Just note that verse 9 said, we continually ask for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Fill could be translated, be under the control of. And I'll give you a couple of examples from our emotions. When I am filled with anger, what we're saying is I am under the control of anger, right? Likewise, when I am filled with joy, we're saying that I am under the control of joy. When I am filled with anxiousness or fear, then I am under the control of anxiety in my life. Does your life ever feel like that? Yeah. When I am under the control of something, I'm filled with it. And so part of what is worth asking in my life is how much am I filling myself with these things like anxiety or fear or the emotions that, 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 that let's be straight, are part of the human experience and have a place in our lives. That fear is, should be in certain situations. I saw a video this week of a person who they came out on their porch and there was their kitty cat sitting in the porch in a little swing chair kind of thing. And next to the little kitty cat was a mountain lion. And the two were curled up together, the mountain lion and the little kitty cat. 
And everything in me thought, oh, that would be cool to be like, here, kitty, 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 and big old mountain lion, right? But I also realized that if I were to walk out the door and see a mountain lion sitting with my kit, cat, kitty cat, I don't have a cat, but if I were, it would be miraculous in some sense, to, you better bet fear would be in the equation, right? I've seen a mountain lion except at the zoo, Several times in the zoo, but outside of the zoo, I've seen a mountain lion like in person just once in my life. And I was in the car. I was thankful I was in the car. It lasted like that. Boom, boom, gone. But long enough to see that tail really long and those paws were huge. And we all went, did you see that? Is that what I think it was? So imagine coming upon that, right? There's a place for fear. But but the problem is, and I'm filled with fear, that fear, I'm under the control of it, and it's always there when it shouldn't be. And sometimes what I need is to be filled with more of the knowledge of God and His will than I am with my experiences in this world. I have a tendency to blow up and magnify the things I'm afraid of in this world. And when I do, I have a tendency to minimize Jesus in my life. So when we come to Colossians 1.15 and we begin to talk about how the Son is the image of the invisible God, I'm going to begin to talk about how, how, how we, need to, we need to blow up our view of Jesus and shrink our view of the things that we get obsessed with in this world. The bottom line is when I'm in my Bible, when I'm praying, and when I'm, Jesus is living in me, and I'm implementing his grace in my life, and I'm serving his way of life, when I'm doing all of these things, what happens is I, I'm beginning to be changed so that I desire what God desires. In fact, you might take note on that Bible reading bookmark on the back. All of a sudden, all these things we're talking about growing in grace happen to look a whole lot like these steps we outline on the back of the bookmark. And that's because we would call this like a spiritual growth pathway or discipleship pathway or ways of loving God that help us grow in our faith in God. And we provide opportunities for these regularly because this is how we grow. I've got one last for you. I want to make sure I make it through it because next week will be too long if I don't. You say, but you're going to make it too long today. It's okay. You'll survive, I promise. Number eight. Are we on eight? I think it is eight. Growth looks like perseverance when facing pain. Perseverance when facing pain. That smells really good. Perseverance when facing pain. It looks like strength in the face of suffering. He told us that he is continually asking God to fill us with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, desiring what God desires, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. This happens from our Bibles. It happens from walking with him. happens from grace living in me. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you have great endurance and patience. And then he's going to go on from there. Strengthened with all power. Literally, it says, powered by power. That's literally what it says in the original language. So that you are powered by power according to his glorious, the word here is might, uh, it's another word that refers to how powerful God is, the word Kratos, which is the word might here, never refers to humans, always refers to God, and is a power that overcomes 
resistance. It produces great endurance and great patience. I don't know about you, but I need that power in my life. Growth looks like persevering when facing pain. A little bit later in this chapter, Paul writes, to this end, he's talking about the gospel and the gospel growing and going out to the world. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. In that verse, he is saying that I am reliant, that I am straining, but in that strenuous straining, I am receiving the power of God, and it's that power of God that is at work in my life. I need that power. You need that power. You're facing tough times. This is the answer. I need the power of God, the strength of God at work in my life. It reminds me of something I read a number of years ago. Author Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great, and uh, it's a business-oriented book, but in it, he talks about a uh, a war hero from the past, and he calls this principle the Stockdale Paradox. And the Stockdale Paradox, uh, James Stockdale was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for over seven years, and he survived that POW status for all that time, lived to tell about it. And in interviewing James Stockdale about how he was able to survive those times, Stockdale became a politician, don't hold that against him, he talked about having this sense of being able to hope for the best, but acknowledge and prepare for the worst. He talked about the ability to believe that you will overcome the difficulties while embracing the most difficult and brutal facts. Contrast that with the shallow optimism we tend to prefer today. We prefer a Christianity that says it's all going to work to your advantage. It's all going to work so you're comfortable. It's all going to work. The powers of the universe are at work so that you have no pain and no problems. There is nothing biblical about that. Hope, biblically speaking, has the ability to acknowledge and embrace the most brutal facts of life while also having a depth, a weight that can overcome the difficulties from an eternal perspective. And our hope is rooted in eternity, not just in this lifetime. Strengthened with all strength, powered by all power. Likewise, World War II, uh, a Holocaust survivor, survivor named Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And is it in it, uh, similar to Stockdale, actually, he talked about POWs and those who survived and those who didn't. And obviously, some were, some were executed. But on the surviving side, he said that there were those who developed what he called a tragic optimism. It's a very similar concept it's the idea that we would today sort of say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. A paradoxical idea that can acknowledge the current difficulties but intermix that with a positive belief that in the end, triumph can still happen. Likewise, I was reading, this is an interesting sort of conversion of things to read. I was reading a Franciscan priest who said, and this stuck with me. In fact, I'm still chewing on it quite a bit. 
if we don't transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. So we go through our lives not transforming our pain, not letting God transform our pain, and what happens is we just pass it on. Anybody besides me observe that? I'm hurting. I'm going to hurt you. Hurting people hurt people. Right? If we don't transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. And he's got a whole theology around this idea that God is present in the pain, not just in the not pain. There's a lot more to it than that, but I promise you, there is real growth when we say, God, I want you to take away the pain, but in the pain, I want you to strengthen me, and I want to live for you. There's power in that. There's real power in that. Does that mean that we shouldn't ask God to take away our pain? I'm not saying that. Does it mean we can't ask God to heal? I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that often God is giving us a strength in the situation, in the suffering, not just rescuing us from it. That God is as present in the strength he provides as he is when he provides healing. We have to learn sometimes to grow and live in that. I'm going to stop there, but we're not done with the prayer. I'll come back to it next week. This is to be continued. But as we make our way through this, we're going to see four more powerful truths next Sunday. I'd love to have you be a part of that. Today, I want to pray this for your life, this strength, this understanding and growth that comes from abiding in Christ. Can I pray that for you? We always end our services with two prayers. One of those is a prayer of salvation. The other, a prayer of application. If you need salvation, if you need Jesus today, I would invite you to right now just ask for him to save your soul. That prayer is as simple as this. Dear Jesus, please forgive my sin. Please take over my life. Please be my God. I put my faith in you. I ask you to make me more like you, Jesus. That you would live your life in me. In Jesus' name. If that's you and you prayed to receive Jesus for the very first time, I'd love to celebrate that. We'd love to talk about baptism. I mentioned that earlier. We'd love to celebrate some other things about that but I need you to tell somebody for us to be able to celebrate it. And so you can tell me, I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N at harvestchurcheugene.com. You can tell somebody who invited you. You can fill out a communication card, but please, please let us know. If you're with me today and needing the strength he provides and wanting him to transform your heart, desiring what he desires, would you pray this prayer of application with me? Dear Jesus, I confess that my initial reaction in the face of pain and suffering, my initial reaction is not to focus on abiding or remaining in you. That more than not, what I want is not growth, 
but what I want is a change in my circumstances. Even a change towards comfortability. So show me this year how to be powered by your power. How to be strengthened by your strength. How to grow and persevere. Help me and my friends here at Harvest to lean into prayer. To lean into living our Bibles. To lean in to conforming to your desires. To lean into your strength rather than our ways of escape. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I mean this genuinely. I will be praying for you this week. I hope you join me in that. We're going to trust in Jesus, aren't we? Let's stand as we sing.